Welcome to Hebrew Bible Insights, a podcast about making sense of the Hebrew Bible. We engage in the study of the Hebrew Bible in its ancient Near Eastern context and original languages to promote good and reasonable interpretation of Scripture so that the church might live more faithfully in the present. Today, I want to help you get the most out of your Hebrew Bible reading experience this year in 2023. It's January. It's the new year. So this feels like a very natural time to talk about this subject. So I'm going to run through uh, rather quickly a few tips that I would give anyone who says, I want to get more out of reading the Hebrew Bible this year. Now, as many tips as I'm going to go over, this is not all the content that I would have to give to you. This is just a starting point. So if you enjoy content like this, where we're trying to make sense of the Hebrew Bible for more people, uh, subscribe, like, share, be super helpful. And you can also support us on Patreon to keep this mission going. So let me start off by saying the most common question I tend to get is which translation most accurately reflects the original Hebrew. And as someone who has studied Hebrew a long time and someone who likes helping people read the Bible well, this is a really hard question because Honestly, there's no one translation. The thing that's more important to know is that there are different translation philosophies. Some are more about literal, word for word, whereas others are more about thought for thought. And they have their pros and cons. If you're trying to track the usage of very specific words and phrases and how they're used throughout a book, you're probably going to want to stick with a literal word for word. And there are a number of translation types like this, NASB and ESV are just a couple, just to name, uh, but there are plenty you can look up. Uh, the con is that sometimes they can feel a little wooden and sometimes stylistically, you're not going to feel the flow of the Hebrew. Now, no English can really do that, but sometimes the literal word for word can feel a little too flat for some people. Uh, the other type is more thought for thought. Like this is like uh, the NLT, and these translations are the pro is they do a, they often do a better job tran- translating the idioms, uh, as well as helping you get a feel for how the passage wants you to feel. Now they are doing more interpretation for you, so if you're doing really deep study, you can't just lean on this because they're doing interpretation for you. Now, again, remember that these are great scholars who are doing this interpretation for you. So they're both great. I think you should try both out and see what do you enjoy more and understand they have pros and cons. And anytime you're running into a verse that you really like or you have some big questions about, don't just look at one translation. Look at multiple and specifically look at different types of translations. Compare a thought for thought with a word for word. I find often there are people who are, are get they get really moved by a thought for thought translation of a verse, but then when you compare it to all the word for word, they realize, okay, maybe I was taking this thought for thought one in the wrong direction from what they meant. So, uh, or other people, you know, who do the word for word translation, they uh, they might not really catch the umph that this passage is really trying to get. Ultimately, they're all great, but those are kind of some pros and cons for you. Um, the only translation I would say at this point that I just can't recommend is the passion translation. And I know there are probably many of you who love that translation. I have close friends who really enjoy that translation. Um, it's just, 
it's too much of an ideological translation. They're really trying to emphasize one aspect of God uh, and over and top of the other characteristics of God. Now, at the end of the day, uh, many people are engaging the Bible now because it's written in such an engaging style. And uh, there are people who are having a revitalized relationship with God because of it. So you're not going to hear me talking about this translation a lot. I'm not going to make videos bashing the Passion Translation by any means. But if you want my honest opinion, I got to give you my honest opinion. So I would tell you that's not uh, something that I would recommend. But hey, if you read it and you get a lot of value out of it, uh, post a comment uh, uh, below or send me an email. would love to hear what you're getting out of it that you're finding great fruit in. So that's how I'd answer the translation question. Uh, next, I want to talk about your reading speed. And I think a more accurate phrase for this would actually be the amount of scripture, scripture that you are consuming either at one time or before you start taking serious notes. And you can go slow, which is uh, reading a verse at a time and digging deep every time you have questions. You have more medium amount of content and speed where it's probably a chapter a day or maybe a few chapters a day. That's a really common pace, especially if you want to get through the whole Bible in a year. And the last is when you're consuming entire books or you're doing really fast speed. And this is when you're reading a number of chapters at a time. So there's pros and cons once again. And all I recommend is mix it up and whatever you're used to doing, maybe try uh, doing a different type this year. The, the pro, if you do the slow reading, is you're going to pick up on the nuance and details because one of the reasons I love the Hebrew Bible so much, in fact, scripture as a whole, Old and New Testament, is it's so dense and it's packed with meaning. And when you start learning about the historical geography or the intentionality of this word usage or why this character is showing up at this time. There's so much you can dig into. It's totally worth reading slow. It's a great thing to do, but you're not going to get through a lot. So the, the problem though with that reading sometimes is if we always read slow, we won't catch the big picture because we're looking so close. We're seeing bark. We might barely be seeing the tree, let alone the forest. The medium speed is a pretty common style, a chapter a day. All I'd recommend is a tweak on this approach. I wouldn't view it as a chapter a day. Try to get more toward a scene a day or a thought a day. Now, obviously, look, if you have kids or, you know, you have stuff going on, I'm not trying to be legalistic. Like, no, 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 I can't. I can't feed my baby right now because I have to finish this thought or I have to finish the scene. But at least remember that chapters, that, that that's a very new thing that was added to the Bible. Most people who've read scripture did not see a big number three or a big number 15 in the top left corner. So just remember, if you're reading through uh, the books of Samuel, you're reading a lot about David's life. And just because you've read one chapter doesn't mean you've actually finished a scene. It might take a few chapters to finish a scene, to feel like you've watched a whole episode, if you will. Uh, so that's one thing I would tweak. Same with books like Deuteronomy. You can read, uh, read until you feel like you finish the flow of the thought. And sometimes this could be the middle of a chapter, by the way. So the last speed is the faster one. And I would say most people, this is the one they're least comfortable with. I think there's a lot of attention we give to close reading of scripture. And I think in many churches that I'm around, there's a big emphasis on finding a few verses that by themselves communicate the message and we analyze them. And that's good. 
But I think what we miss is seeing the forest, seeing the big picture, understanding the meta narrative of scripture. And to do that, you have to consume quite a bit of scripture. So the two things I'd recommend is this. First, I understand, again, everyone's in a different life season. So whether you can read a lot or a little in one sitting, don't give your, don't put the pressure on yourself that you have to walk away with insights right now. That would be like watching a movie. And like my wife and I often do, we'll watch a movie, but we don't have time to finish it. Uh, and so we've, let's say we've seen 20 minutes of a movie that we had with dinner before we get back to whatever we need to do at home. We don't then say, I know what the movie's about. So don't feel a pressure to overanalyze things at that point necessarily. Uh, but one thing I would recommend is, can you find some times this year? I'm not saying it has to be every week, but maybe if you're going to, maybe you're into cycling and you're going to do a, a two, three hour bike ride on a Saturday. Well, why don't you do an audio Bible and try to listen to a large amount of the book of Genesis or uh, maybe listen to a number of the minor prophets? That's an interesting strategy. Or maybe, you know, when the beds go, maybe, sorry, when the beds go, when, when the kids go to bed at night, um, you can read a solid 30 minutes and just try to get through some of Exodus. So just think through the big picture and that helps the major themes rise to the surface and the things that the authors are trying to get across uh, will be even more clear. So uh, try different speeds and you can try different speeds all in one year, by the way, there's, there's no rule about this. Just try different ways of reading. And I think you'll get different type of insights out of it. So another thing I'd recommend is if you're the type of person who says, I want to read the whole Hebrew Bible in, in one year, or you read all of scripture, old new testaments in one year, one thing I'd recommend is to maybe change the order that you're reading them in, especially if you've already done this before. There are a few different styles you'll see. One you'll see is reading the standard Christian order from beginning to end. And what that simply means is, if especially if, if you're listening to this from America, if if you open up your Bible, uh, you know, the order is pretty much going to be the exact same unless you're coming from maybe a Catholic or an Orthodox tradition that has the Apocrypha or the Deuterocanonical books on the inside. It's going to be the same order. Uh, and that's a pretty traditional one. And that the the orienting framework for that is past, present, future, all the historical books past, and then some of the poetry books that are uh, not super uh, narrative driven, like like Song of Songs or Psalms, Proverbs, Job, right? They're viewed as present books, books that impact our present worship and wisdom. And then you have the future books, which, you know, again, these are prophets who spoke a long time ago, but they prophesy about the Messiah. So they're viewed as books for the future. So again, you can do that. That's a standard. You'll see some that try to do it in a chronological order. So they move books around to the to when those events were happening. And sometimes they even bifurcate it down to, to chapter level. And so you'll be reading, you'll be reading the book of Kings, but then you'll have Isaiah and Amos and Hosea. These other poetic prophets are getting snuck in there about the time when they were uh, prophesying, when they were doing their ministry. So that's a really cool strategy that can help you understand the chronological nature of the Hebrew Bible, uh, because the primary Christian and Jewish orders, they aren't totally chronological. And so that can be kind of confusing. Just remember this, though, that some of the dating of the books is kind of controversial. There's certain books we don't know exactly when they happened. So books like Job or Joel, for example. So don't get super hung up on 
okay, I know, know exactly the dating of everything. Uh, a different order you can try though. This is my favorite is what I will just call the Jewish order. Again, the reason we call it that is because it's the order that it originates in some of the, some uh, medieval Jewish manuscripts. And it's the common Jewish order today. The Christian order I told you earlier ultimately has its roots in Christian Septuagint codices. And it's the, what's common for Christians today. So the Jewish order uh, you can look up and you can, by the way, the Bible project, that's how they recommend reading the Bible. You can go on their website and see how they list the books in that order. Um, stay tuned. I'm going to do an episode on the, on where the book of Chronicles belongs. Uh, no one talks about this, but there's actually, it's not clear where that book belongs. So that's just a random little plug for you that, uh, the placement completely changes the way you read the third section of the Jewish order of the Hebrew Bible. So anyway, change the order up and you might see different insights like where books go. You'll be shocked at where the locations that they belong in. So change the order that can might be able to give you some variety. Another thing that I recommend uh, for you to do is to use a commentary. If that's not something you're used to doing, uh, you can at least start by getting a study Bible and look at the notes at the bottom. They'll give you little explanations. Uh, before you read the book, they'll often give an introduction. They'll give a brief outline. And this is a great tool for you to realize reading scripture is not a solo activity. It's not just me. Uh, although it's great to get time alone and reading scripture, it's good to realize other people have studied scripture deeply just like you uh, or just like you want to do. And let's take value from what they have to say. There are things that would have taken us forever to know. But there's a scholar who they already dug up all the research we need to know to understand who these people groups are or why this geographical location is important. So that's something I'd recommend is to look at a commentary. Uh, man, where do you start with commentaries? That's a tough one. It's a lot easier to answer if there's a specific book you want to go deep with. But I'm going to, for now, I'm just going to give a commentary uh, recommendation that covers all the books of the Bible. I had this recommended to me. Uh, by Tim Mackey, and it's honestly done well for me. It's the new Bible commentary by Inner Varsity Press. This is a really good commentary. It's a single volume, so it's really transportable. And, or if you're using a, a software like Accordance, it's really cheap. And it covers the whole Bible and covers good information. So I would highly recommend a commentary like that. Uh, speaking of not reading the Bible alone, another thing I'd recommend is to read the Bible in community. Now, this doesn't mean you have to get together and read scripture together, although that's a pretty cool idea. Um, but when you read scripture, talk to people about it. What are you seeing? Obviously, prayer is huge. Talk to God. The, these scriptures matter because they point to Jesus, right? That's why we read scripture. Uh, so talk to God when you're, when you're reading scripture, when you finish, journal, pray, whatever. That's special. Do that. That's a great place to start. Um, also talk with family, talk with friends, talk with people who, you know, love reading scripture too, and tell them your ideas. I have some great friends. I love doing this with, and I get so many insights from this process, uh, things I would never have seen before. Or sometimes I think I see something and they challenge me on it and they say, I don't, I don't know. I think you're reading into that. I don't think I see that. And while that might not feel great, honestly, so many times they're right. And I don't, I don't want to think something of scripture. That's just me reading into the text. So yeah, find community, makes it more fun, makes it more memorable. And the more you talk about what you're learning, the more it's going to stick. A couple other thoughts. Let's talk about when the Hebrew Bible gets boring. 
This is a really common thing that happens to people. You feel really inspired. You want to dig deep into scripture, but you realize that, hey, this is getting boring. Uh, the second half of Exodus or Leviticus, it just has me stopped. I don't even know what to do with this. Let me let me put forward a statement here. Anytime the Hebrew Bible feels boring, it's because there's something about the culture, the history, or the language that we don't understand. I guess I could add a fourth one in there, which would which would just be the literary structure of the book. So those four ones, culture, history, literature, language. There's one of those things we're not understanding. And that's not a judgment I'm making about you or me, by the way. That's just how it works. When you read a book, when you read a collection of books that was written thousands of years ago, it's going to happen uh, inevitably. And that's okay. And I also need to tell you, you are not going to figure out all of the history, culture, literature, language things to make it all feel extremely engaging to you. That takes a lot of time and work. In fact, there are certain parts of the Hebrew Bible that scholars have looked at for so long and they don't feel like they can crack the code on exactly what the contribution of a specific verse is in a really, really engaging way. Because again, it was written a long time ago. It doesn't mean we don't understand the story. It just means there are nuances that we wish we knew better. We knew, we wish we knew why is this piece of clothing or this piece of food used in a savage line from the prophets? Well, it's the only time that that word's used. We don't exactly know. But hey, maybe you'll become that scholar who finally cracks the code and you do, you do some archaeological dig or you, you know, help us do um, uh, studies on other Semitic languages or who knows what happens. You know, maybe as you're reading, you'll you'll uh, have inspiration about a nuance that that is special and that's that's powerful. So don't don't be down on yourself when you don't understand, but realize that's what's going on. So what I would challenge you to do is this. You can't do it every time, but decide that some of the times when you read this year, when you get bored, you'll decide, I'm not just going to speed through this this time. I'm going to try to figure out something about the history, the culture, the literature, or the language. And when I learned that, something is going to get unlocked and I'm going to see the intentionality of scripture. So that's something that I would highly recommend. And it's a really rewarding process. Now, just know it might be a mixture of those things. It might not just be one of them that leads you to, uh, to learn it all. Sometimes it's a mixture of those things. You learn a Hebrew word and realize that the Hebrew word is, um, it's related to a Semitic root that's used in Akkadian and it's referencing a, a cultural aspect of how funerals work and, and it all links together and gives you some insight. So it's okay. If you get, if you feel bored, you don't have to feel engaged every minute. That's all right. Um, and if you've decided this isn't one of the times I'm going to choose to dig deep, then don't feel like you have to slow down. Feel like it's okay to kind of speed through it, that's nothing wrong. You're not being sacrilegious. You're not being disrespectful. Um, and if it ever really bothers you, that's fine. Like you can pray about it, talk to some people about it, but then move on, read more of scripture, see what you find. All right. A la- uh, a few last things I want to go over now is uh, some of the big things that come up quite often. Uh, if you're reading the books in order, you're going to run into a lot of laws. What do we do with this? A quick reminder that even the air quotes, law books of the Hebrew Bible are primarily narrative storybooks. 
that might not necessarily be by word count, but by literary design. So even the book of Leviticus is is put in a narrative framework that connects it to the book before. So we don't have the entirety of ancient Israel's law code, right? The Bible just gives us some of it and places those laws in certain places to help tell the story and to teach us things about ancient Israel's story. And yes, there's a lot we can dig into in terms of what's the wisdom of these laws. Why would God have told them to do these things in that ancient time? Yes, you can dig into all that. But remember, this is part of a story. Um, And know that as Christians, we relate to God based on the new covenant of Jesus, uh, not the covenant of Sinai. So don't get hung up on little details here or there, unless you've decided, I want to dig into the details. I want to learn about the ancient culture and history uh, to understand why, what's the nuance? How does this compare to other ancient law codes? Or what's the point here? Just know the main thing is this, when you're dealing with the covenant, what's unique about ancient Israel is the, the Hebrew Bible records the only time in the ancient Near East where a God makes a covenant with humanity. We have plenty of covenants from the ancient Near East, but it's not with a God making a covenant with people. So that's, if there's nothing else you get, that's what I hope you see. At some point, I'm going to have my uh, my co-host, Dr. Nathan French. He's, he, has some, he has some excellent content about ancient Near East covenant treaties and how, the, the, how understanding the structure of those helps us understand books from the Torah. It's going to be an awesome series. We'll do it at some point. Uh, it's so big that we might make it a book. Uh, we'll see what we do. It's really exciting, though. Uh, another thing, the prophets, uh, specifically the poetic prophets, can often be disorienting for people because there's not a lot of narrative. So with these, probably more than even any other book, it's really good to glance at a commentary, uh, glance at an outline, uh, see if we know about what era they were prophesying in, a few extra little details. The other thing you need to know is that most of the prophets their whole book is not a, all right, they got on stage and they talked from chapter one, verse one to the last chapter, last verse. Many of these are the greatest hits of uh, the albums of, a pa- of you know, the best preaching of a pastor. It's, it's that kind of thing. So it um, doesn't mean every chapter you can know for sure. Like, okay, this isn't you know, this wasn't taught on the same day. Oftentimes you'll have multiple chapters together that are really cohesive and it's part of a bigger message. But many of the prophets had long ministries. You know, they may have had ministries of 20, 40 years. And these books are summarizing and collating sermons from their whole life that are being brought together in a specific order. So if you ever feel whiplash a little bit, sometimes that's what's happening. You're you're jumping from a sermon that they gave and maybe year 20 of their ministry to year 30. So the editors of this, they really tried to make it cohesive though. There's a flow often to it. There's an intentionality. So again, I recommend look at outlines and those are really helpful. Uh, you'll probably find some whatever commentary that you look at. The Bible Project is a phenomenal resource for this. There are short 10-minute videos giving you outlines of the books. I highly recommend a book by... Richard Hess. He's written an introduction to the Old Testament. He has great outlines in those in those books as well as extra information. So that's a great resource I would recommend for you as well. Uh, and then wisdom literature. So we have some books like Job, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes that 
are connected in that they're all talking about wisdom. Now, wisdom goes beyond those books. We have wisdom Psalms. We have wisdom in the Torah. Uh, ultimately, everything in the Hebrew Bible is wisdom in some sense. But just remember, when you get to those books, don't feel like you have the whole picture of what wisdom is being described as in the Hebrew Bible. So some people, they they just get obsessed with Proverbs and um, they become... They can become a little too much the type of person who says we have 100% confidence on exactly what the right decisions are always in how we act. Uh, Sometimes we need books like Job that kind of challenge uh, what can feel like the status quo of the ancient Near East in the worldview and how does retribution really work. And there's a place for uh, this might sound like a weird phrase, but if you will, uh, the, the holy skeptic and what does this look like? By the way, quick reminder for Ecclesiastes, you have to read the whole book to understand that book. The editor at the end really puts things into context. The point is not that life is meaningless. It's the point that life is meaningless without God. Anyway, that's this whole side tangent. Uh, but so when you read the wisdom literature, again, read those out, enjoy them, but know that uh, there's the holistic picture that comes when we read all of the Hebrew Bible. And that includes all of the wisdom literature, which speaking of Proverbs, by the way, Proverbs and Psalms are probably not best read just going all the way through the book. Psalms, you could, I could see you doing that. Uh, Proverbs though, especially Proverbs one through nine, that's a literary unit that should be read together, but Proverbs 10 through almost the rest of the book if you've decided, I'm just going to read all of that in, um, in one sitting, it's probably going to become fuzzy to you uh, because it's so many one-liners. You got to split it up a little bit. I, at least I would recommend that, you know, at least split it up over a month, if not sporadically throughout the year. So whatever your goals are this year, I hope that these are some tips that help you to engage the Hebrew Bible. Obviously here at Hebrew Bible Insights, our goal is to make sense of the Hebrew Bible. We want more people to engage with the totality of scripture. And I understand as Christians, we see the New Testament. That's the place where where we have Jesus is clearly there. It's the apex. It's the climax. And we have uh, the writings of the church. And we have the the revelation of Jesus that talks about this time to come. It's And it's powerful. It's beautiful. It's awesome. There's a reason that's the core of the Christian faith. But there's also a reason why the Bible has the Hebrew Bible inside of it too. Why we have the Old Testament writings. They matter for a reason. And I understand they're more complicated. They're longer. They feel more confusing. But let's choose to view that as a great adventure. In fact, you probably already view it that way. If you're watching a video like this, you are bought into the concept that the Hebrew Bible matters. It's actually engaging. It's interesting. And it communicates things about theology. It talks about God. In fact, that's why I'm doing this whole podcast, YouTube, social media stuff, is I'm convinced that there are things about God that can completely change our life. And look, we don't want to, we don't want to ever move away from the gospel. And I love the power, simplicity, the, the, the powerful simplicity of the gospel. But when we read more and more of scripture, there are things we learn that impact our life and our theology, our worldview, and how we live. So this year, as you engage more in the Hebrew Bible, I'd highly recommend 
uh, follow Hebrew Bible Insights if, if this adds value to you because we are constantly creating content, everything from micro content that's 30 to 60 seconds on places like Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, uh, YouTube Shorts. Uh, we're doing somewhat medium length content on YouTube. And we're also doing long form content on our podcast platforms and YouTube, all sorts of ways for you to engage with the Hebrew Bible. So thanks for joining me today and we'll see you in our next piece of content.